From the Center for Theological Integrity, this is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. And I'm Mark Quanstrom. Welcome back. It was our privilege to have our theologian in residence, Dr. Beth Felker-Jones, visit with us. And we talked about just how human our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was. We talked about whether or not he lived out the existential angst and the, uh, the way we live. We talked about his, his sorrow, his suffering. We talked about his weeping. We talked about him being aggravated. We talked about him having a sense of humor. We really did want to explore and understand better the central core tenet of our faith that our Lord and Savior, God, who created all things, was enfleshed in the person of Jesus of Nazareth in the first century. It was, it was so much fun. And we have invited a guest today to continue that conversation. We have. In just a moment, we are going to introduce to all of our listeners, Michael Palmer. But Mark, I just wanted to reflect on something with you for a moment because I think it just continues to frame up everything that we have been talking about so far. Now, I was scrolling through my newsfeed. I, I had, you know, just the Sunday exhaustion that all of us feel after mm-hmm. preaching. And I sometimes like to see what, what other people are up to. And I, I came across this quote that, that was from your sermon yesterday. All right. And I wanted to read it because I think it's so powerful. Allow me to give you a bit of a geography lesson. If God in flesh in the person of Jesus could be located on a map in the first century in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land at the edge of death and darkness, and God could be in Nazareth, a crummy little town from which no one would want to associate, and God could be in Egypt, a land of pagan oppressors, and God could be in Bethlehem, an insignificant town overshadowed by Jerusalem. Well, that might mean that God shows up on the map precisely where you are at your address. I think this is such an important reminder for us and is a continuation of the conversation that we've been having, you know, because one of the reasons that we have started this podcast is we want to be able to sit at a table where other pastors would feel like they're at the table with us and that they would know that they're not alone. We know that that a lot of our listeners are pastors of, of maybe rural churches where they don't have the same network right. that, that others might have. Maybe they feel like they're on an island and they're mm-hmm. alone. And we know that pastoral ministry has been very challenging for many out there. There's been uh, a lot of pain and wounding from a lot of the polarization that we're seeing from imbalances of power within denominational structures, the the ripple effects of of Christian nationalism and pastors prophetically preaching and teaching on that that is subversive, and thus pastors get some arrows as a result. And reading this, and I know you meant it for your congregation, and I know that, that God met every listener in the pews that needed to hear that. I'm thinking specifically of the pastors that Hmm. are listening that need to hear that. 
that need to know that Jesus is is where you are and with you in your wounds, in your wins, in your losses. And I can't think of a, a better person that I would want to talk about that sort of thing than Michael Palmer. Great. Michael Palmer has been a pastor. And most recently, he was a pastor on the West Coast for 10 years. And he now serves with his wife in just outside of St. Louis, as he and his wife are launching a new ministry called the Center for Spiritual Formation and Retreat. And I know that all of this is going to come out in his story, but Michael, we are so thrilled to have you today. Welcome. Thank you guys for having me. It's a a pleasure and an honor to be a part of it. Wonderful. So Michael, you've you've been in pastoral ministry, you've gone through theological education, and now you're exploring a new season. I wonder if we could go back to some of those earliest years where that spark for Jesus and that spark for pastoral ministry began. Yeah, I am a child of the church. My dad and my grandpa were both pastors. I have other sets of grandparents who are not ordained clergy, but gave their life in service to the church in so many ways. And so I've known only the church and and the community of faith really for my entire life. I, I, I felt the call to ministry in high school and kind of navigated the discernment process over the course of years through college and ended up was married to my wife, Elizabeth, who is also a pastor. And in our early 20s, we kind of navigated the ordination process for the denomination we're part of. And we went and served in in a couple different ways. We served on staff at a church in St. Louis. We served for a time overseas in Korea as English teachers and, and work of ministry in that way, but ultimately landed in California, where we served for almost 10 years church in Napa. Wonderful, a wonderful people, a wonderful time. Loved them very, very much. And they were, I like to say, a very formational, that's the word I'm looking for, a formational people in a way that I needed in my own life. Learning to pastor is, it's a daunting thing. So you you learn to shepherd a people and the act of shepherding people tends to bring out of you some of your best, but also some of the, the shadow. So if I could interrupt for just a minute here, Michael, you, you, you pastored this church in Napa Valley, California for 10 years or so. I'm guessing you were in your late 20s, to mid 30s, late 30s, something like that. That's my guess. You don't have to confirm or deny that. Just <laughs> that's my hunch. <laughs> and you, you, you and Elizabeth are both, both pastors, right? And you said this was your first, this, you didn't say this, this, is, this was your first church as a lead pastor. Correct. And yes. you mentioned that the church was formative for you. Mm. So, so you learned how to pastor from your church. Yeah. yeah. Yes, because that, that was my experience as well, that when I took my first church, I had seven years of academic training. And believe me, I believe in academic training for sure. But I found I I realized that the the art of pastoring, the skill of pastoring, 
really is on the job training. Yeah. Mm. And I have the same testimony that it it is more the case that my church pastored me than I pastored them. And they really did raise us. My small local church raised Deb and me and our three boys. Mm-hmm. And they, it was our, it was our, it was a blessedness. It was a grace that this church allowed Deb and me to learn how to be pastors. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure all churches give their pastors that room, but they gave us room to learn what it meant to pastor them. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I just, you, you said that kind of, you just you said that as a matter of course, as a part of your story, but I, I want to draw attention to the fact that this pastoring of a people is a mutual endeavor. This is, this is a task on the part of both the church and the pastor. And that sometimes pastors find themselves in the places they are because the church doesn't embrace their responsibility to the pastor, right? to tend to the pastor as, as a priority of that congregation's mission. So you were fortunate to have, fortunate, you were blessed to have a church that tended to you as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly a great way to articulate it. Conversations with peers over, you know, the course of my time there revealed how blessed we were to pastor the people that we did. And it was, we were there, I think nine months and set or nine years and seven months. So a little over nine and a half years. And over the course of that time, so much of the work was, I don't mind answering the question. I was 27 when I moved there and we moved a baby, didn't know anything. And it was the, the, the process of learning each other. And then also the process of I'll just speak for myself, learning what kind of pastor I was. And then, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, beginning to navigate this secondary call about talking about things and speaking to things, just politics. And, and uh, there was some conversation about sexuality and doing a lot of that online through social media and then pastoring people in response to that as well. So there was this growing and learning and forming and developing that happened during this time. And to their credit, they they loved and cared for us, even in some disagreement during some of those seasons. But by and large, they just, they made that journey with us. And it was a gift to be their pastor. Yeah. Well, thanks for that that transparency. And I'm eager to get underneath that a little bit, maybe later on in our conversation, because I can so relate to that space of finding that there's this sense of call, kind of prophetic call to Hmm. subvert some of the narratives within the American church. And then also, you know, we're called to our local church and this, it, it kind of blends together and in a confusing space. And that's something that I had to learn as well. And sometimes learn the hard way and the painful way. So what are you talking about, Michael? I'm, I'm interested in the specifics. What are exactly are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, so to give the short version of maybe a longer story, sometime around 2014, 2015, I think it was 2015, went to a conference for the denomination I was part of and 
had this experience where I realized that there was not a lot of conversation happening, honest conversation around issues of, at that time, it was race and sexuality. And I, I had this season where I was reflecting on how I wish that people would talk about it. And then it just kind of, the spirit nudged me, inviting me to do the thing that I wished other people would do and use the little platform I had, my few hundred friends on Facebook. I don't even know if I had Twitter at the time, but just to speak where I could and when I could. And so I did. And over the course of years, from about 2015 to about 2020, I did my best to pastorally process what we were experiencing as people in the church and uh, navigating, I think during that time, Oberfell was ruled with the Supreme Court, which made same-sex marriage legal. So we processed some of that. I actually grew up in, it's North County, which is a part of St. Louis County, but within North County is Ferguson, Missouri. And I grew up going to school actually in Ferguson and lived in a few of the neighboring kind of little townships. St. Louis is a little weird in how they organize their towns, but I just, that was kind of the world that I grew up in. And with Mike Brown being killed and all of the, uh, the stuff that came out from there, I just imperfectly, but did my best to process what that meant. Tried to process privilege, tried to process how my experience as a white man is very different than the experience of my friends of color and, and that this experience in America is not equal for all. And so over the course of years, that conversation grew and had some nuance to it, evolved towards the end. About 2020, it started the conversation about Christian nationalism and political idolatry. And that started to become this growing thing. And so started having some of those conversations online as well. And the experience of it was, it was a mixed bag, right? So there was some really beautiful and meaningful friendships and relationships and connections that grew out of that time. People that I never would have met or connections as a pastor to a person who would have never stepped into a church, grace upon grace in so many of these conversations I, and Michael, I was, yeah. I was one of those. I was one of those that was blessed by that public ministry that you had hmm. because you are putting words and giving us language by something that so many of us pastors were experiencing and feeling. And then a post would come out and I would say, that's, that is exactly how I'm feeling. I just didn't have a language for it. Hmm. And so it really was edifying for so many of us and helped so many of us process also the experience. And there was very much, I mean, there was a lot of momentum and there was very much of, of a community that was mm -hmm. built around that, a really beautiful community of people that, that because of what you were doing, so many other pastors were able to see like, oh, I'm not alone. There's others that are wrestling through these things. There's others that are processing through these things and feeling how I'm feeling. So you were speaking to the prevalent cultural issues of the day, 
as a pastor of a church in Napa Valley, California, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what's the problem there? Why is that a big deal? Well, well I don't see I don't see the problem. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Ta- t- well, so what happened? So, so a great community was developed. You spoke into so many people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. End of story. Yeah. This is a happy ending. Why are it we even a, talking to you? It is a definite happy ending. It is a happy ending in the end. I think within our tradition, one of the things that I've come to see is, and it's not exclusive. I certainly don't want to paint it that way. I just know what I know. And so I'll speak to what I know. I won't place that on anybody else. But we expect a certain way of talking about things and doing things. And and there's an expectation for how we talk about things, how we talk about God and our relationship with God and our relationship with those who are outside the church and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be holy. There's this, you know, all all groups have shared language and part of our shared language comes with the expectation that you will be part of that. And so to have a conversation about sexuality, to have a conversation about race and racism within the church, to have a conversation about nationalism and overt connection to a single political party opens the door to some uncomfortable things within a church, within a denomination. And I found in my time that while there were some who had, they found meaning and, and, and commonality within the things that I would say. There were others who found them threatening to the church. I won't recount them because they're not worth naming, but all sorts of names privately said to me, questioning the integrity of my call, questioning my role as a pastor. And that, that was kind of from the wide range of people within the church. And so it, for a person who is extremely loyal as a person, right? So we left Napa because of a specific call. We had belief that that would be a 30 person or 30 year church for us. We had no expectation mm-hmm. of transitioning away from it. It was a long discerned process and an act of obedience for Elizabeth and I and a painful one. So we're, we're committed to the church and we've given ourselves wholly to the church. And so to receive uh, anger, hostility, accusations, retribution from people within it, there's no, maybe the, the best way to say it, there's no way to weather that without it taking on the voice of the church. So part of my work in some of the time since that season of my life has been separating that a person speaking within the church is not the church. And that's been a really important journey for me, but that's been a hard part of my journey to not see the church as the one who is attacking. So were you, were you blindsided by the response of some folk in the church? Was that, did you know that you were engaging in political risky behavior? And this isn't an accusation. It seems to me that I, I might, if I were you, I might have been blindsided by the response. As you're kind of working out your call and you're calling the church to respond to contemporary political issues. And do we like, I mean, it was per, 
prophetic for sure, but it's not it's not out of the realm of what we're called to do, right? Were you blindsided by the response of some in the denomination? Can it be yes and no? <laughs> yeah, sure can. I don't know. So, it's your life. Yeah. Yeah. So no, because six years of it, it was it was the slow burn of frustration, the slow burn of, I mean, anybody who's attempted to pastor online or in public has received the the comments that just kind of right. like a slow drip that just arrive right. in your inbox or in your email, whatever. Right. So I knew kind of through this whole process that it was risky. I, I knew it. And I knew right. it because of my own experience. I knew it because of some of the experiences of people that I am peers with. I wasn't, I wasn't oblivious to what the reality was and the potential was, especially okay. as things heated up moving right. through 2018, 2019, and into 2020. There was Where's the yes? Where's the yes? You said no and yes. Yes. The yes is in 2020, it all came to a head and got very ugly very quickly and mm. involved, we'll leave it at accusations, threats, threats within the, the polity of our denomination and how pastors are held to account for our credentials and our call. All right. There was nothing acted upon, to be clear, but mm. there were threats. There were many threats. So Some there was a which, threat to take your there was threat a threat to take, to take, take your yeah. take your credentials because you were speaking into some of the quote unquote hot button issues of the day. Because I wasn't speaking about them correctly. Correct. And it wow. and it yeah. it involved in the end many people I knew and counted as friends or counted in relationship family wise. It was it was it was a very hellish season. Yeah. So I was expecting pain. I wasn't expecting that kind of pain. There we go. And so sudden. Yes. And so violent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Michael, I'm, my heart just aches with you. And sadly, I know that this has been a road that more than one of us have walked and have lived and that we never, ever, ever, the day that you know, we stand behind those pulpits on Installation Sunday. And when we imagine pastoral ministry, these just aren't the things that we cannot possibly, we cannot possibly imagine these things. Yeah. yeah. So you're not outside the tradition of your denomination in anything you're saying. No. I mean, this, you're, you're not, you're not speaking in ways that are contradictory to the the denomination's theological convictions. No. Right? Yeah. I mean, no, you thought you you thought you would have room. Yes? It was my I hope this won't sound overly romantic, but in in speaking and acting as I did, I was doing my very best to live out the ordination charge to proclaim the gospel. Wow. And so, no, I never, I never taught outside the theology of our church. Yeah. I never, I never broke with kind of the tradition to which I am bound. 
Right. So you're speaking gen generally <laughs> and vaguely on purpose, so as to not be indicting of of anyone. But I wanted it to be clear that you thought you thought and still think, and evidently the church still thinks that there was nothing untoward in what you were saying. It just was, it just was outside the norm, the cultural norm, not the theological norm. Yeah. From those that held the power. Oh, there and we I go. I think that's really important to note because there was, there was, and is a groundswell, right of of many pastors and Christians who are longing for the church to be the church that Jesus said we, we could be, that said we can be. And, you know, for someone like Michael, who I believe has the gift of prophecy, you, you've been able to see ways in which the church has, had a, has diminished that, that vision. And so you knew there was a risk as a prophet does, and you did it anyway because the Spirit of God compelled you. Thanks for joining us. We're honored that you would spend part of your week with us. Our vision for this project is for it to spur collaborative conversation, not a one-way monologue. So here's three simple steps to participate with the pastor's table. First, subscribe to the podcast. A 30-minute episode will be released weekly, and we don't want you to ever miss a chance to join a formative conversation. Second, extend our conversation with a ministry friend. Think of a friend in ministry who could benefit from this conversation. Each week, we will provide discussion questions to prompt further dialogue between fellow pastors. And third, join the conversation. Go to thepastorstable.com to share with us your experience in ministry and what theological convictions you would like to see the pastor's table explore. Until next time, may you be blessed as you serve faithfully in the gift of ministry God has granted you.